Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another installment of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. So glad that you're back with me. I know I said I was back and then I wasn't. I'm sorry for that. It's been quite a kooky year for me, uh, but things should be a little bit more consistent now. Glad that uh, life is slowly but surely settling for me. Things are not settling for the Memphis Grizzlies, which is good for the content makers like myself and everybody else over at grizzlybearblues.com, as well as my guest this evening. Uh, this morning, whenever you're listening to the show, but I'll get to that here momentarily again. Thank you. Wherever you are on Spotify, Stitcher, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, Spotify, however you're listening to the show. Thanks for joining us here on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter, the site manager of SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, Joe Mullinax at Joe Mullinax. You can follow the blog that I, Parker Fleming, Brandon Abraham, Sean Coleman, uh, so many wonderful writers, talented folks uh, at SBN Grizzlies. And you can follow my wonderful guest at this time, um, a friend of the show, a big fan of the GBB bump. If you've yeah. been listening for a long time, uh, he, he is one of our, and I mean this genuinely, he is someone who has been very kind to me and to us over at GBB over the years. He uh, does an amazing job in his job over with Sports 56 WHBQ. He handles Anthony Sane every day, which is just phenomenal. Um, if you're a fan of the show, you know he's been here a, a time or, f- or five or six. And Sane, of course, is his own, uh, his own brand of entertainment. So Peter and Sane do a phenomenal job with their show. Um, make sure you're checking him out there. At... Peter Edmiston. Peter, GBB Bump is back, buddy. I'm so glad to have you back on the show Woo! with us this week. I, I know you're a big fan of the GBB Bump. Let's get it. Let's get Let's it. I, get I, it. I love, you know, I love the, you know, I love the GBB Bump. Uh, you know, I love, uh, I love you guys at, at GBB and uh, appreciate, uh, always appreciate the, the love as well. Um, it's, 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 it's nice. It's nice to, it's nice to be back in something approaching, um, I don't know, normal, but, uh, getting, getting closer to it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it has been a really weird year for everybody. So it's, right. I guess it's appropriate that it's been a weird year for, for, for the Grizzlies too. Yes. And, and that leads us, we'll, we'll just, well, actually, before we jump in, I would be remiss uh, to do content that is predominantly consumed in Memphis without, um, briefly mentioning, and again, you guys aren't turning in, turning into this for this but uh the the death of young Dolph there in memphis um not going to talk about the means and all that stuff or get into a debate just want to you know he was a father he was a he was a a a human being you know there there's things that happen there today in memphis that we all need to be kinder to one another and and uh treat people better and his death you know my biggest take when i know peter you can relate to this you know as a dad myself you know, sure. there's little kids that are without their dad this this uh, this morning, evening again. Whenever you're listening, uh, there are little kids that don't have their daddy with them anymore, and um, you know that just kind of eats at me. So obviously, a, a terrific representative of Memphis. Um, just wanted to, you know, thoughts are with uh, young Dolph's family and uh, those that care about him. Well, and, and the thing is too that he's also um, he, he was a, a big uh, you know grizzly. Right. guy he's uh he, he narrated the video last year for the playoffs did a phenomenal um, job with it 
So, uh, and I know, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. I think he was the young Dolph was the first guy that, that, that Jaron Jackson Jr. Name checked when he uh, arrived in Memphis or uh, when he was doing his press conference, you know, when right. he first got drafted and all that. So, um, yeah, and, and it's not just Memphis. I mean, you, you saw, I don't know if you saw, but the, the video where he went down to Jackson state because mm-hmm. um, he had heard that, uh, that, that hundred shots was being played a lot in their, in their, their winning locker room. And so he went down there um, to Jackson, Mississippi with coach prime to just kind of make an appearance after a win earlier in this year. And, um, right. you know, just stuff like and he's very popular in locker rooms and uh, just very popular in general. He's, he's a great, uh, you know, a guy that had moved, um, you know, from Memphis was living in Atlanta, but um, you know, was still a much a, a Memphis guy, and yeah, just it's it's awful. You know, the shooting happened while we were on the air today during the doing the show, and um, you know, it's not too far from where we were doing the show, and there was a right. huge amount of you know traffic blocked off, and obviously just a, a major 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 thing. Um, so yeah, I, I echo your sentiments. It just sucks. And there's, you know, you can, we can go up and down the list about all the reasons why, whatever, but it just sucks. It sucks. A, a good, you know, a, a dad is, uh, is gone and, uh, you know, family's hurting and a lot of people out there hurting and that, that, that sucks. Yeah. So shout out to, uh, to young Dolph. Thanks for everything you did for Memphis. And again, thoughts with his family during this, this difficult time, not, not no clean segue into the Memphis Grizzlies uh, from there. But I, I do think in this strange year, Peter, um, you know, I, I've probably been, and again, I, I've known you for some time now. Um, I've, I've probably been the least engaged with Grizzlies Twitter, blog, the blog itself, grizzlybearblues.com. I am not, I'm getting back into it now that my football season is over, but because of the craziness of my life this year, moving and, and everything that was going on, I, this was the easily the, the least I've been involved. And, mm-hmm. Getting back into it the last few weeks, it just seems like everybody has completely lost their damn mind. And <laughs> for somebody who, you know, I take pride, I know Sane would probably say something similar. I take pride in being one of the original people to mm-hmm. lose their damn mind in, yep. in the fan base, at least in the last decade or so. Mm-hmm. so That's your I, thing. That's your- I, it's kind of my brand. So <laughs> on one hand, I'm kind of, I'm not even mad. It's amazing. You know, like a little Ron Burgundy shout out from Anchorman. Um, I, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. But on the other hand, like it's a, it's a lot even for me. Like I feel like we rise and fall and, and collapse and build and we're championship contenders one week and we're the worst team in the NBA the next. And, you know, I just casually remind folks that this is year three of a rebuild, that they've been in the postseason two straight seasons prior, the new version of the NBA postseason, in fairness. It, you know, three years ago, they would have missed the playoffs mm-hmm. both years. Um, but, you know, the new way of doing things with the play in tournament, <clears throat> excuse me, they've been in both versions. I, I am perfectly happy with where they are. And maybe I don't articulate that well, but I just get obliterated. Like, even for me, I get pretty heavy attacks uh, in terms of how I shouldn't be happy with the current state of things, you and I had a much more rational conversation about this, as I would expect. So I wanted to get you on the show to talk about it. The idea of the 7-7 seven and seven Memphis Grizzlies going into a game with the Clippers, they've been struggling of late. It's not about not critiquing how they're currently playing, because if we didn't critique how they were playing, 
you and I would be out of a job, like especially, you know, you much more importantly, your actual job. Uh, Content creators, if you can't talk about what a team is doing poorly, then you don't have anything to write, speak, you know, all those things. But for me, I guess I just, and maybe I'm wrong for this, I don't care that they're playing poorly right now because I have enough historical precedent that has been built up to suggest that they'll improve. And they are not, they have made it clear that they are not actively pursuing maximizing their roster right now. Because if they were, Stephen Adams would not be here. If they were, I think you could argue Zaire Williams, who we'll talk more about in the next segment, would not be here. So all those things considered, I take these losses that they suffer more easily than others. Am I wrong for that? Is my perspective skewed? I just struggled in November getting upset at a team that's the second or third youngest in the NBA playing like a team that's the second or third youngest in the NBA. Well, I mean, again, this is like um, it's it's impossible for me to say, you know, specifically if you're right or wrong. It's a it's it's a feeling thing as much as anything else. I think the the issue um, the issue from my perspective is less about the 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 overall long term picture. I don't think that really changes. Like, um, you know, if you. I kind of liken it to to, to you being a football coach and like, you know, you look practice by practice at your team and you hope that, you know, they improve each practice, but you're going to have good ones. You're going to have bad ones. You're going to have, you know, things that go well, things that don't. And when you go back and analyze it, if you get caught up in the weeds, you know, you might just, you know, go crazy. You you can't get too worried about individual data points in a bigger picture. Um, I went zero and ten this year in my fall season, Peter. So I did almost go crazy. That's that's, uh, uh, yeah, no. And and, and and I'm sure it wasn't like, I mean, yeah, you, you know, it wasn't for lack of trying. It wasn't for lack of effort. It wasn't for lack of you, you know, pushing every button that you could push and finding every detail and all that. It just sometimes it's it, it it's it's like that. And you know, when you have a young team, you're going to have those those moments. Um, so I think you know the 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 fifty thousand foot view of the team doesn't change, and that's kind of what you're looking at is you know you're looking at the team from flying uh, overhead. You know, you're you're looking down at Memphis from way up in the sky, and it doesn't look any different. Um, but there are a lot of fans who are looking at it from a much more close perspective. And when you do, you see that the performances have been so uneven and, you know, that's, that's the, that's the problem is that too often this year, the team has been completely blown out. It's okay. If you lose games, I mean, you know, you look around the NBA this year, there's plenty of teams that are, that are struggling for consistency. Uh, you have the champions, you know, who are under 500, you have, uh, Lakers who have really put up some stinker performances, especially without LeBron, the Hawks under 500, um, you know, the, the Celtics at 500, they've had some really bad losses. I mean, like a lot of talented teams with a lot more pedigree than the Grizzlies are struggling. That's true. But when the Grizzlies have lost these games, it's the fact that they've lost them in such a overwhelming fashion that they've been completely run out of the gym and that they didn't really fight back. And, you know, that's, that's the issue to me. Like not, it doesn't change the overall trajectory of the team or anything like that, but it is, to me, it's, it's symbolic of a team that uh, I'd like to see a little more fight from, from the team. I'd like to see in losses when you go down 15, 20 points, I'd like to see a little more oomph rather than just kind of rolling over and saying, eh, you know what, maybe we just don't have it tonight and going about your business. That that's the part that's been a little bit alarming to me. And I don't think that a blowout win over the Rockets does a lot to change that. 
Oh, it, it doesn't change anything at all. And, and I do think that that is important. You know, as frustrating as maybe I can be at times, I'm remarkably consistent. Um, just because they beat the Rockets doesn't mean, you know, the, the perspective doesn't change. But I do think that you, you hit on a point. If I'm concerned about anything, and I don't even want to use the word concerned. Yeah. Intrigued, I guess. Th- there is no, and please don't say Jay Crowder. Because that's not what I want. <laughs> there, I think you know where I'm going with this now. Uh-huh. Th- th- yeah. There's no veteran presence. Like th- that doesn't exist. Steven Adams is not that. Kyle Anderson is not that. At least not in the way that it appears this team needs. Obviously, you and I aren't privy to what happens in the locker room, their day-to-day lives. You know, it's possible those guys are doing all sorts of veteran things that we're just not aware of. But in the kick in the ass, we're not losing this game this way. The, the Draymond Green effect, right? Like mm-hmm. somebody along those lines, uh, you know, Montrez Harrell, you know, ironically, Patrick Beverly, you know, these guys around the league that maybe have that reputation, they, they are lacking that. I think that their leader almost undisputedly is a 22-year-old in John Morant. And of course, John Morant's their best player. I, I'm not saying that's wrong. I, I'm saying that they look like a team. And that's what I, when I say, they're one of the youngest teams in the NBA, and they play like it. Their they're two oldest players are 28. Their third oldest is Dylan Brooks at 26. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they are not in a position to, when they're in those spots, have someone that they can look to to help them right the ship simply because either the guys aren't willing to do it that have been in those spots a time or two. Like Steven Adams has been in playoff series. Steven Adams has been in fights. He's played with talented players. He has that experience for whatever reason. And again, he's new. Uh, it's not resonating. And, and I do think that if I'm concerned in, in air quotes on the podcast about anything, it's where that leadership comes from when they're in those spots, because they're going to continue to be in tough spots. You don't want it to snowball downhill the way that it has. I think that's completely fair. And I'm not quite sure unless they make a trade, that's really something that's that's fixable at least this season. Yeah, I think that 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 is the thing. It, it is true, um, and I, I don't and I don't know. Again, you know, fixable. You know, it's it's some of it is just that it, it's a young team. You know, some of it is just that it's a young team, and literally you know, by team, design, this is a problem. Yeah, yeah. So you're going to have that sort of thing, and um, you know, I don't think that I'm not. I'm by no means is the team like tanking or anything like that, but also you know, winning this year is not the highest priority. You know, if it were, you wouldn't see Zaire Williams get the kind of minutes that he's getting. So obviously they're, they've, they've made the determination that that development is still a key thing and they're still going to try to, to push him uh, to the fore. Um, that's, that's just, that's part of it. So, you know, you are going to have these moments where you struggle when you're playing, uh, you know, a, a team as young as this and, and you're playing guys, that that you're playing, you know, so many minutes. Um, and I think also the other thing for the Grizzlies too, is that, you know, and I don't, I don't think too many people have talked about this. I haven't even really, you know, tweeted about this or anything like that, but it's, I, I was just thinking about it today. You know, they have, uh, we kind of joked last year about data collection and, you know, this is a data collecting team and all that stuff, but it is kind of true that they are very patient when it comes to that and that they, they are willing to run with some lineups that don't, necessarily look that great in order to collect data in order to you know make sure that they can see what they want to see and you know get enough data to be able to make a determination and so 
you know, some of it is early in the year. They are running with lineups that they probably know in their heart of hearts aren't necessarily that great, but they also want to go ahead and collect as much data as they can in order to make sure that that's, that that's the right uh, conclusion. So that's, that's frustrating for fans too, to watch and say, Oh my God, why are you playing John Conchar this many minutes? Why are you playing, you know, Tyus and, and jaw together when they're getting killed and all, but like, you know, they, they want to collect some data on these lineups. And if that means that they have a short term uh, deficit, then, then, then so be it. You know, this isn't, this isn't the Milwaukee bucks. This isn't um, you know, the, the Phoenix suns at this point where you have uh, pedigree and you've won things and you've made runs and there's no, you know, nothing short of like championship is, is acceptable. That's not where they are right now. Um, so that's, that's part of it too. I think that's the frustration. Um, and I try to walk that line in my, in my commentary about the team, Joe, I try to walk it between like being honest about, you know, when the effort's not there or, or that sort of thing, like, you know, job ja being a, a very poor defender, like that's just the way it is. Now there's reasons behind that. Uh, there's reasons why that may be, but it's true. Like he's, he's a very poor defender and it hurts the Grizzlies, um, you know, this year, but like, you know, at the end of the day, none of that stuff changes the long-term goal and the long-term like identity of the team, you know, this year, the thing that's frustrating me the most, honestly, I mean, let's just, let's just get into it. Then the thing that's frustrating me the most, not less about defense or anything else. It's, it's about, um, to me, a lack of focus on trying to build Jaron Jackson into the number two option, because that's what he has to be. And, you know, not playing him through foul trouble, not, uh, focusing enough on making sure that he gets the kind of looks that he's going to get. And I know you've kind of like been joking and, and, you know, uh, nudging people about Dylan Brooks being the second best player and who's the second best player and all that stuff. But the, the fact of the matter is, if this team is going to be uh, what they need to be, Jaron has to be that guy. And you have to kind of uh, build your team towards that goal. And I don't really see them doing that right now. So if anything is like frustrating me, that's probably the the, the thing that's frustrating me the most. Dylan Brooks is absolutely the second best player on this team right now. I agree with Sean Coleman when he says that. I also agree with you that if they hope to improve, that can't be the truth anymore. And that that is, I think that's kind of the current. A team where Dylan Brooks is the second best player is a, there's a, there's a firm ceiling on where that team is going to be. And they've already reached it. And there might be a tiny bit more, but it's pretty much where they've been. A a, a team where like the best iteration of Jaron Jackson Jr. is the second best player. That's a different team. And so they, they got to get there. I think what frustrates me the most with that, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% in lockstep. At, at this stage of Jaron's career, when Marcus All came to Memphis by his third or fourth year, he was at least the center, po- the center point, centerpiece of that defense, right? Like he was the guy mm-hmm. that Lionel Hollins and then obviously eventually Dave Yeager, who, you know, thinking of Dave Yeager as well as he undergoes cancer treatments, you know, that progress of those coaches. By the third or fourth year of grit and grind, Mark was in line for defensive player of the year. He was the schematic centerpiece. And obviously Mark was older. I get all that context and that matters. My point is I'm agreeing with you. I don't understand why it doesn't seem like Jaron is not the centerpiece of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Jaw is the centerpiece of your offense, so be it. There's a hundred reasons why that makes sense. And I do think that while he is a defensive liability – He's so good offensively that he at least can negate that. Um, I I wonder why Jaron has not been made more of a focal point. Is it concern over the knee? Is it conditioning based? 
Is it the fact that he has this foul trouble? You know, I watch them play, and I'm you are the one I always give credit to who convinced me of what Jaron Jackson Jr. could be. And that was all the way back on draft night when he was mm-hmm. selected. You talked me off that. the ledge oh, there yeah. at X Forum. Yeah, you were um, in, you were you I were, was not you were concerned. Yeah, no, you were concerned, and, and rightfully so. But, but but you were right. Like you proved me wrong. And I I watch him now, and I feel like I don't get why Taylor Jenkins either is cautiously choosing not to. It doesn't have to do with Stephen Adams starting. He could start. He could not start. I don't think Stephen Adams is the the absolute worst player on the planet, like other people do. But I also understand he's very limited, and he is very much a bridge to whatever is next. I think that you can start Steven Adams, play him 22 minutes a game, and Jaron Jackson Jr. gets a majority of his time at that center position. And now you can start making him that focal point of whatever your defensive scheme, switchability-wise, angles, attacking passing lanes, all the things that people like to talk about. You, that, that's what your future is, at least in theory, now that you've signed this extension. Why is that not being processed? Why is that not being prioritized? Why are we, if we're still doing the data collection thing, which I'm purposely trying to not talk about, because if you want to piss off Grizzlies fans, say data (laughs) collection. Um, If that's still where we are, so be it. I'm still cool with that for the reason that John Morant's 22 years old. As long as Jaw's cool with it, I'm cool with it. I I think that (laughs) you should be gathering data on making Jaron the focal point of something. And they're not there. And that is where I'm 100% in agreement with you uh, about the current state of things. Yeah. That's, that's the part that I don't, I don't, that I, I still feel like they are, um, you know, somehow there's, there's a discrepancy. I think the, the, the front office and the coaching staff, you know, it's been deliberately chosen the coaching staff and everybody there has been chosen because they, they typically are, are really in lockstep with the front office and, they work together. They're very uh, communicative. Uh, they 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 constantly go back and forth. The front office talks to to you know them and vice versa and all that. So like you know most stuff they're they're pretty much good to go as far as you know guys playing and all that stuff. This isn't back in Lionel's time when you know he would get emails from the front office and just like you know delete them and uh, you know get angry when they they mention that you should play player X or player Y or whatever. That's like no, this is not that. So it's very, very strange to me that the front office would give Jaron, um, you know, this extension and would that extension, you know, really signals that, yeah, we believe in this guy. This guy is the second best player. This guy is uh, a key part of our future. And then, you know, the coaching staff doesn't use him in that same way, um, you know, doesn't get the ball to him and, and run the stuff that they ran for him before, you know, they were running him. If you remember during his heyday, they're using him basically almost as a, as a, as a power guard. In fact, I, I called, you know, I, I was, when I interviewed Taylor Jenkins well, you're right before the pandemic, actually, uh, it was like the week before the pandemic, I sat down with Taylor Jenkins and did a long extended interview with him. And I, I told, I, I kind of mentioned the power guard thing and he's like, Oh, I like that. And uh, you know, that's what they were using him as like, you know, yeah, he's technically a power forward or center, but he's really a guard. He was a power guard. Like, you know, he's running off curls. He's running off, uh, you know, screens. He's the, he's the doing, game in the bubble against the Spurs really stands out. Yeah, in my mind. He's doing guard with, with actions. The way they was doing. Yeah, exactly. He's doing guard actions, but he's defending like a big, a versatile big. That's that's that is the dangerous Jaron Jackson Jr. 
the guy that can go off and hit eight threes in a game. Yeah, I know I get everybody's like, okay, you want to, you know, you know, get inside all that stuff. Fine. Like whatever. But if he wants to drive the ball, but it's, it's, the, it's the way he can spread the floor effectively, not just standstill shooting, but also on the move at his size. And then what he can provide defensively that no, there's not very many players in the NBA who can do that. Um, so that's the part where it's been like, well, why are you not working on that? And where, where's that been? And where, where's the, where's the stuff that you used to run for the guy? Now it's sort of perfunctory, like a little bit of post up and like, okay, well, if you don't see him immediately, then they sort of break that thing down. And maybe you run, you know, he's, he's almost like and and, and Joe, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, I remember, you know, Jaron, like, you know, setting some screens early in his career. He doesn't really like no, seem to know how to set screens anymore. Like he's kind of, they've almost like given up on him. Yeah. It's way. like, he stands there and sort of puts his arms out and he picks up like an offensive foul or he doesn't, or it's like, it's all through Steven Adams or who like, I, that's just, it's just, it just feels like there's not a lot of creativity or patience with Jaron's offense. The Jaron's offense is sort of coming as a, he's not a, he's not a guy that they're looking to really unlock it's coming as kind of a third or fourth option type thing. That's the frustrating part. Cause if you're going to build something for the season, that's what it's going to be like, you know, Zaire Williams, all that stuff. Like, yeah, it's important to develop him. Sure. It's important to develop, but this team, if they're going to be like, you know, a championship level team in two to three years, it has to be with Jaron Jackson jr. In tow, um, you know, either him or like you've made a trade that's gotten a major, major, major impact player as a result of moving him. And either way, you're only going to do that by getting him to a different level. And, um, you know, there's a reason why his plus minus continues to be the the best in the, in the team. There's a reason why his defensive numbers continue to be the best in the team. Like he's still a, a vitally important player. And I just, um, so it's frustrating to me. Like I know, I know watching him play can be irritating and I know he does the, the, the foul stuff and, and there's, there's a lot of things that he still has to work on. I mean, I'm not, I'm not exonerating him of everything, but I do think that, uh, you know, some of it is that they have not been creative enough in using him. I don't, I, I, I cannot, I can't, I don't have a good explanation for why that is. He's 22 years old. He's only played, I think, 140 ish, maybe a little I mean, less. He's a month younger NBA than NBA games. For crying out right? Now. He's he's a work in progress, yeah. and uh, I think that if you look at him through the lens of a traditional big, you're going to be disappointed. But I, at least to my credit, where I was hesitant about the pick, mm-hmm. I've never viewed him as a traditional big. That was never my perception of him. And if that's what they hope to use him as, then it's never going to work because that's no. not his skill set. No. Um, but hopefully as time goes on, they, they take more trust in the knee. Maybe that's part of the concern, easing him back into things. Who knows what's going through their minds? Uh, certainly not me. And that's probably a good thing. Uh, we're chatting here with Peter Edmiston at Peter Edmiston on Twitter. Make sure you're following him there. He does a great job with uh, grind time. Uh, I believe it's called with Anthony Sane over on Sports 56 WHBQ in Memphis, weekdays from 1 to 3. Make sure you're listening there and following at Peter Edmondson. When we come back, I'm going to be talking to Peter about my article from Wednesday, talking Zaire Williams. Everybody wants to scapegoat somebody. I'm not quite sure why they're not picking the guy who plays 18 minutes a game and has the worst net rating among those rotation guys. But maybe I'm wrong for that, too. I already know I'm wrong for that. That's kind of my point. It'll bring us full circle. Stick around. You're listening to GVB Live. We're back, ladies and gentlemen, on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, joined by Peter Edmiston 
of Sports 56 WHBQ's Grind Time with he and Anthony Sane. Follow him on Twitter at Peter Edmiston. Peter, I wrote an article for the blog on Wednesday, uh, a feature taking a look at, you know, I mentioned before going to break. Everybody wants to scapegoat somebody, right? That's that's the lazy thing to do. And I think that folks that have followed my work for a while kind of got the point of the article uh, once they read it and, and tweeted about it and that sort of thing. And then there are people that are very clearly new to me, which bless their hearts. And they, you know, said, well, how come you're scapegoating the 20-year-old? He, he's developing. He's, a, he's the upside swing, which is literally all things that I've said. So <laughs> I, I write about the struggles of Zaire Williams because he is struggling mightily. And to me, if I am going to pick someone, and I believe on the Zach Lowe podcast with Kevin Pelton today, uh, you know, simpatico, great minds think alike. Um, I believe Pelton talked about the Grizzlies going to a nine-man rotation because obviously it's not a perfect fit beyond Zaire. You know, do you go big and move Kyle to the three, which Taylor Jenkins has made very clear he doesn't want to do anymore, and I don't necessarily think he's wrong for that. Um, do you go big and move Kyle back to the three? Do you go small and, you know, ride with Conchar as your two or your three on the wing? It's not clean uh, without Zaire. So I, I think that might be part of it just for the sake of ease. Obviously, development is important. But if we're talking about the Grizzlies underachieving, and again, I'm not even sure I agree with that. But if we subscribe to that theory, just for the sake of argument, you look at their numbers, Zaire Williams, to me, Peter, is pretty clearly the worst player on this team right now. And yet he continues to get playing time. I'm, again, call me at Christmas. I understand it's a rebuild. You can't take an upside swing or say that they need to take an upside swing pick and then be mad at the upside swing pick. At least, in my opinion, you can't. Um, perhaps you disagree with that. Uh, I, I am fine with him not being good right now. I just think that you have to take that as evidence that they don't care about the here and now as much as fans do. Yeah. I mean, I think that, and and I've, I've said that from, from basically, if you remember the, the game, um, it was the, I think it was the Timberwolves game, uh, back last Monday when Zaire Williams was out and it was Dylan Brooks was still out. And so Brandon Clark played those minutes and, you know, Brandon Clark had been completely out of the rotation. Then he comes back in and the Grizzlies end up winning in, in dramatic fashion. And he has like 20 and nine and, you know, whatever you could see that, like, to me, that was the tangible representation of what you're giving up by playing Zaire Williams as much as they are. Um, you know, you could see that the rotation was better. It made more sense. Um, it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, everyone should know by playing Zaire Williams that, I mean, that's, that's to me the, the great metric that I have of like, this is a team that's still not really serious about winning at a high level this year, because you know, you're not, it's not meant to be bagging on the kid um, to bring up the fact that he has been awful like that's just that that's that's just a professional like you're a professional you gotta deal with that stuff man if you you know it's you're getting paid you're young yeah sure but you're playing you know 18 minutes a game for uh you know a, a, a team that's that's kind of you know playoff level you know right now in terms of his uh you know box score stats all that stuff he's you know amongst the bottom five ten percent of the league uh, whatever, whatever, you know, expected wins, you know, your estimated plus minuses, all that stuff. He's 
way, 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 way down the list. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't shoot the ball, uh, you know, particularly well, he doesn't uh, rebound the ball well at all for his size. Cause he's so small. His assist and rebounding percentages, number, are, assist percentages are, are crazy. They, like, he's literally among the very worst in the entire national basketball association. Yes. Rebounding the basketball and creating shot opportunities for others. Yes. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's in the third percentile in this. And I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that it was a bad pick. I'm not saying that I did. Zach Kleiman came out that night or the very next day and said, you need to be patient. And I don't disagree. I, I think that at six, eight, he has a frame that he needs to get bigger. All those things. He could be good for the Grizzlies towards the end of his contract. I can, I see a world where that exists. But as I write, oh, I mean, article, like, I mean, you, you look at the best version of him. Sure. He's, he has, I mean, I could see what the, he's a big swing guy because, right. you know, he can, he can, he can, I mean, in theory, he can create his own shot off the dribble at, uh, you know, very long six, eight. And, uh, and that means that puts you in like a, you know, Durant kind of thing where you're, you know, you're, you're a big wing that can do a lot of stuff like that. You know, there's very few guys that, that can even conceive of doing that. So yeah, if you can get one, you take a swing at it. Fair enough. Um, but the, the idea, and, and, you know, some people are conflating, you know, Jonas and all that, because it was part of the trade to move the move up in the pick. And all, there, there's a lot of stuff that, 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 that gets conflated that doesn't need to. Um, but you're right to point out, Joe, that, I mean, if you're just going to scapegoat or you're just going to say like, what's the weakest part of the rotation, he's definitely it. Um, just there's no, there's really no getting around it. Like, you know, he's bottom in just about everything. There's really nothing that you can point to and say, Zaire Williams is good at. He's not really good at much of anything. Um, at this at point. least Steven Adams sets screens, right? Yeah. I mean, he is elite as an offensive rebounder. He does that just as well as Jonas, if not a little bit better in terms oh, of being sure. able to, because Jonas was the king of the Z bound, right? Like Zach Randolph would watch Jonas Valanciunas play and be like, yeah, that, that's my guy <laughs> because Jonas would miss a shot or two and get a couple of offensive rebounds and, you know, go with God. That's fantastic. Steven Adams takes like two or three shots a game. So he's yeah. getting other people's misses no and, and offensive rebounds. He's 99th so percentile in offensive rebound percentage right. and has been for the last five years, wherever he's so City, at least he's elite time. at something. Aside from an occasional corner three and an occasional block shot, I think his block percentage is pretty high from the research that I did for the article. Uh, Zaire Williams gives you nothing right now. But again, it's not about right now, and that brings us full circle. And that was the point I tried to make in the article. They, If they were concerned about right now, they would not have done the trade involving Jonas. It wouldn't have happened. And I think that that needs to be continued reiter- to be reiterated. Because Jonas Valanciunas is a better physical basketball player than Steven Adams. The pieces that they could have gotten around that deal if they hadn't done it that way, they could have added somebody like an Eric Gordon. They could have added other players to make the team more viable now, but it would have hurt them in the short term. And I think that that's important to point out. They, or excuse me, it would have hurt them in the long term. They would have given them less flexibility, less draft capital to use in a trade. Uh, they are looking beyond this season and that's frustrating when you're in a competitive place i'll get you out of here on this peter um one of the reasons that i think this might be the case is the john morant psyche because every once in a while i'll hear on a national podcast like with low and pelton for example or a fan will tweet at me or they'll comment over at grizzlybearblues.com 
and they'll say, we have to keep Jaw happy. We have to keep Jaw happy. If Jaw gets angry, if Jaw doesn't like that they're not trying to compete, he's going to leave. I am very much of the thought process that none of this occurs without John Morant's approval. I can't see them operating in a way that they would just ignore Morant and do this process without him being okay with it. Do you think that's part of it? You see what's happening with Zion Williamson and with the Pelicans before the injury stuff, you know, the push to be more competitive, you know, is that something that you think kind of weighs on people that makes them think they have to accelerate this because Jaw's going to be mad? Because I'm of the opposite mind where I think he's very much aware of this and he's a part of this process that they're doing rebuild-wise. I'm not as concerned about that. Should I be? I mean, at this point right now, you know, I, I, they're, they're obviously going to do everything with jaw in mind. Everything is built around peak you know, jaw. Yeah, right? I mean, everything is like, built. That's three well, or I, four I mean, years I, from now. Well, I mean, just just in general. Yeah, everything is built around, you know, now and in the future, what is the best thing for Ja? Like what's the best thing for him? What's the what what's what makes the most sense? Um, I don't I would say I don't think that he's gotten to the point where he is like, you know, on the phone with every, you know, deal. Like I don't think he, I don't think they're calling Ja or his dad or his representatives on every single deal. I don't think they would do something that would uh, you know, be problematic. I don't think they would if if, if he was particularly, you know, fond of somebody, I don't think they would you know, get rid of them um, without, you know, going through him. The but Matthew I also Hustle don't think there is a great example of that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I also don't think that it's like, you know, he isn't, uh, he isn't Giannis yet. I mean, he's sure. very good, but he's not Giannis right. yet where it's like, okay, everything we do, we have got to make sure it's, it's not quite there yet. Um, so we, you know, we, we still got a little work to do to get to, to that point. Everything is built certainly around John. And, and I would say this too, there, there is, uh, you know, unlike some of the other guys that we've seen, um, you know, Zion in particular, but uh, you've seen it, you know, from going back to the Anthony Davis days and, um, you know, plenty of other uh, young players or, you know, players in their rookie deals, um, there, there was always some level of smoke around them being unhappy or uh, un- unappreciative of the way that the team was doing business or, you know, something like that, that was always kind of, you know, in somewhere in the, in the, in the ether. That is not the case with, with John Morant. There's no evidence uh, whatsoever that he's anything other than uh, appreciative of what Memphis as a city and as a franchise has done for him and his family to this point. Uh, and he's, and he's, you know, crucially, he likes the city. Um, you know, unlike, you know, some guys that have been drafted here, he's, you know, really kind of become part of it. He's got a you know big place outside in, in the suburbs. He's got his family all here. Uh, he he can be seen around town doing stuff like, uh, you know, he likes Memphis and he's not a big, uh, you know, bright lights kind of guy. You know, that's not really his thing. So I think it's a nice fit. It's a city that, that works well for him. So there's no evidence that there's any friction there. So I, I don't think that the, the Grizzlies are like, you know, I don't think they're 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 completely um, subservient to John. Like, oh, please, John, just what, 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 tell us what to do, and we'll do it. I don't think it's nothing like that. But I also think that um, they're very aware that if they're that they have a, you know, transcendent star. Like, did this is the Memphis has never, ever, ever, ever seen anyone like him. Never, not not the core four. Not there's nothing close. So absolutely. <laughs> you'd be stupid not to 
use that as your cornerstone for every decision from here on out. And I can assure you uh, that's exactly what they're doing. So that's, you know, what that may, it may take a little longer than people want it to or whatever, but that's, it's obviously all about Ja, And he's, I mean, he's having a, an insane, insane year right now. Just, just crazy what he can do. Um, what, 26, six and seven, something like that. I mean, he's, he's headed toward the all-star game and, uh, and, and cruising there actually. You can make a legitimate argument. He's a first team, all NBA guard right now, mm-hmm. which is, you know, mm-hmm. him and Steph Curry might be the two best guards in the NBA. And Without to be able enough. to say that is, uh, is pretty fantastic. Uh, and, and all the more reason to be patient as the Grizzlies rebuild continues. Peter Edmiston, my good friend, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. It is much appreciated. Follow him on Twitter at Peter Edmiston. Uh, does a great job at Sports 56 uh, with Anthony Sane, 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. Make sure you're checking him out. Peter, thank you so much. Oh, man. Look, I'm just, I was wondering when we were going to do this again. So I'm extremely <laughs> excited to, to be back, Joe. Always, always a pleasure and, uh, and, and good, to, uh, good to see you again. And we'll have you back on again soon, of course. For Peter, I'm Joe. Make sure you're subscribing. That's exactly right. GBB bump. Uh, Make sure you're subscribing on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Apple, any way that you can get podcasts. iHeart, you can get it and get on the GBB Podcast Network, Core 4, 3 and D. You've got uh, the Long View with Parker Fleming, of course, our starting five podcast, all sorts of great shows, including this one, GBB Live. For Peter, I'm Joe Mullinax, very fortunate to still be the site manager of SB Nation's GrizzlyBearBlues.com. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live.